Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1405, entitled, Pay No Attention to the Jan Behind the Curtain. (laughs) (laughs) Our podcast title is The Wizard of Pod. Of course, of course. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. Wow. Look, I sounded really stoked and pumped there, and I am because it's Zero G, and then I stopped and I thought about so many entertainment industry deaths relative to Zero G's particular genre fetish. And, you know, my David Warner, mm. Chancellor Gorkon in Star Trek number six, The Undiscovered Country, mm-hmm. and also in um, uh, Time After Time. Oh. And uh, Time was Time Bandits, was he? Yes, it was the ultimate evil in that, oh. I think. There's so many different roles that he's done that have been of great interest to Zero G and also Bernard Cribbins, who was Wilf in the Doctor Who series. And Mm -hmm. well before that, going back to the 1960s, he actually played um, another companion in the TARDIS in in, uh, one of the Doctor Who um, motion pictures, the ones with Peter Cushing as the Doctor. Of course, right, yep. And Nichelle Nichols. Yeah. So much more than... Just Commander Uhura mm-hmm. in Star mm-hmm. Trek. A role model, mm. representation. Mm. I found her role in Classic Trek particularly moving for me because I was struggling to find representation yeah. in television shows in mm-hmm. the 60s, uh, yeah. being of um, uh, Asian descent. Uh, I was getting nobody but, you know, essentially... <sighs> Japanese, mm. brutal prison guards. And Caricatures of different types. Yeah. Yep, yep. You either had to be a, a kung fu waxia. <laughs> yeah. You know. Later on it sort of changed over, didn't it? It was like you had to be a hacker. Yes, maths nerd, hacker, those are pretty common ones. Yeah. And so I appreciate it. Obviously, George Takai as mm-hmm, Lieutenant yep, Sulu, yep. but also just the simple fact of the presence of... Michelle Nichols is an African-American. Yeah, yeah, Uh, included, yeah. It it meant to me, it meant a lot to me. So when she later on to to, uh, work for the space program, Mm. um, pioneering there as well. Uh, But we might move on to that on a a later show. Today we are looking at some Myth Mm. movies. Yes. Myth has... Blossomed into being? Sprung. Here it is. It's arrived on our doorstep. And there's obviously, as with previous years, a jam-packed program. Mm. We plucked out a couple of our uh, ones that took our interest a couple of shows ago, I believe. We did. And uh, so, yeah, heaps of good genre stuff, heaps of the wacky, the serious, the funny, 
anything you want really out of film, you can find something in the MIF program this mm, year. Mm. Now, Megan has some news about some things that are on the smaller screen. Unless, yes. Unless you happen to have a really great big screen. <laughs> no, so yes, let's uh, turn our attention to the small screen. I wanted to run through some of the Emmys uh, nominations. So they came out a couple of weeks ago, but thought it's still worth giving a bit of a shout out because for me, it often highlights maybe some shows I haven't had a chance to get to. And it is always interesting to see what uh, the Emmys board or the Emmys voters seem to feel is worthy. And as we always like to disclaimer, awards aren't everything. We know there's some amazing content and amazing pieces of art that have not been recognised on an award stage. But let's just run through what uh, happened for this year's Emmy nominations and see what is up for possibly taking home a statue. So it will be the 74th Primetime Emmy Awards. It will air on Monday the 12th of September, so then we'll find out who amongst the following will take away some of the key gongs. So I'm just going to pull out some of the highlights that would be of interest to our listeners. Um, And there is a decent amount of... uh, good little tidbits here. So we'll start with uh, something we both have watched and enjoyed recently, Stranger Things Season 4. Hooray! (laughs) So gotten a lot of attention and it did receive 13 Emmy nominations and it includes a nod, a possible win for Outstanding Drama Series. So it is up in that category. Shouldn't it get 11 nominations? Wouldn't that have been good? (laughs) You missed opportunity there. One or 11. (laughs) Uh, So sadly, no acting nominations. Um, That was also the case for season three which didn't get any acting nominations either there were 22 cast members that were submitted for consideration as well but none recognized with the nomination unfortunately the nominations they did receive were in the categories of things like production design casting editing hair makeup prosthetics due to some of the wonderful work they did with Vecna I'm sure that's part of the reason. Um, there's some great YouTube videos too when you watch like everything getting built up over the eight to ten hours it took. Stylist for Mr. Vecner is. Yeah, exactly. I kind of hope that team takes away the prize. Uh, also editing, sound, visual effects and stunts. So all the things we are used to seeing get recognised for our genre favourites because I think a lot of those creative categories, I mean, these shows – wouldn't be what they are without the talents of teams like that who work in VFX, makeup, costume, things like that. So um, those were only volume one was only in the consideration set. And so volume two, those last two episodes will be considered in next year's Emmys. So moving on to one close to our hearts, Squid Game, of course. So it is indeed the first non-English drama series that was nominated. So that's very big achievement there. Pretty exciting. So it is up for Outstanding Drama Series, which is awesome to see that it's broadening, the Emmys are broadening their horizons a bit. I want some music from that. Have you bought some music in for that, Megan? I do. Let's set the scene with a little bit of Pink Soldiers, and that will be from the score to Squid Game.
setting the scene for a bit of Squid Game. So that is from the score. That was Pink Soldiers. And so we played that because we are discussing the Emmy nominations that this show has received. It got 14 in all. And it did include, and this is a really huge achievement, um, many acting nods, which was amazing. So in the acting categories, five of the main characters all got nominated. So uh, 456, our main character, number one, 218, 67 and 240. You're making us sound like one of those... Mysterious radio stations that just transmits numbers and nobody knows why. Exactly. So I think that was really amazing that they got recognition. I know awards aren't everything, but I personally was really stoked to see that a non-US series getting recognised and especially those actors, many of whom are quite established in Korean film and TV, receiving a little bit of recognition in the West. So that was pretty cool. Uh, Other categories that Squid Game was nominated in include things like cinematography, production design, writing, stunts, visual effects, editing, directing, and the main title, theme music, which is why we want to play a little tidbit there. Uh, They are actually working on season two now. So if Squid Game was your jam, there's more to come and there are some characters confirmed to return. And Netflix is also working on Squid Game The Challenge, which is going to be the biggest reality TV competition ever where 456 people will compete for 4.56 million. And I do tend to wonder, did Netflix watch the show and understand the commentary (laughs) that was happening here? Because that to me just seems so ironic, but... Anyway, so that's also in the works. So plenty more pink jumpsuit content in our future. All right, let's move on a little bit to some of the other nominations for Marvel. So when we talked Emmy noms, Rob, you asked me, oh, what what did our Marvel uh, our Marvel shows get? So there were 19 nods across four series in that Marvel next phase of TV. Uh, and now they are all in creative categories. So sadly, no acting recognition there. But the shows that got recognised, Moon Knight received eight nominations in categories like cinematography, costumes, music, voiceover, sound and stunts. Those won't be much of a surprise, I think, um... Those are very standout factors of that show. Loki also received six nods in costumes, cinematography, production design, and music. What if the animated series oh. received? Yeah, received three. Two of them were for voiceover. One to the posthumously to Chadwick Boseman. And it also is up for Outstanding Animated Program, which is pretty great. And then we also had Hawkeye taking away two nominations, or not taking away, being up for two nominations for both of those for stunts. So um, we'll just wrap up the last couple. So in our Star Wars universe, uh, Book of Boba Fett did get nominated for costumes, sound, special effects and stunts. Does that mean it could win a a queer gone? (laughs) I've been waiting to drop that pun since you said (laughs) key gong. (laughs) I did see you laugh when I said that and I was like, he's got the cogs are turning. Uh, Star Wars Visions is also up for outstanding short form animated program. Obi-Wan wasn't eligible, so it wasn't entered for consideration in that the episodes um, weren't out in time, weren't entered for this year's Emmy. So I assume that's going to be up for next year. Uh, And I think probably similar Ms. Marvel is probably in a similar situation there. I did want to also call out Severance. Uh, That's a show I've not watched. Have you watched that one? No, but I I know of it. It's on the radar for me too. So that took 14 nominations away, including it's up for Outstanding Drama Series and, of course, four acting nominations for Adam Scott, Christopher Walken, Patricia Arquette and John Turturro. So all pretty established names there. 
and uh, also other nominations in things like casting, production design, writing, main title design, directing, editing, score and main title theme music. So the last show that I wanted to mention was Only Murders in the Building, which we covered on Zero G, is a comedy drama set in New York. Uh, If you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend. Season two is actually out, coming out at the moment. That one took away 17 nods overall and is up for outstanding comedy series and has acting nods for Steve Martin, Martin Short, Jane Lynch Lynch and Nathan Lane, and then a range of other noms across things like directing, score, main title design, main title theme, production design, writing, casting and contemporary costumes. So heaps of amazing shows there. There was also uh, Haimesh Haimesh Patel was nominated uh, in the acting category for Station Eleven, which is another show that slipped under my radar a bit. Um, But I'm kind of... it piqued my interest again seeing that nomination. So that's a little bit of the Emmys nomination rundown. HBO and HBO Max lead with 140 nominations overall and Netflix has 105 nominations. So there's always, they're constantly been in battle for who has the most nominations, who has the most wins. And it like bobs back and forth between those two. So It's the Emmys equivalent of the Squid Games. It really is. It's like who's going to come out on top. So we'll... 12th of September, we'll get our final answers on who's going to take away some of these awards. Uh, so that was just to wrap up our little Emmys rundown. It could be complicated if, like, Eminem was nominated for an Emmy score. Oh, my God. He probably <laughs> was at one stage. I wouldn't put it past him. Uh, so the last little tidbit of news that I wanted to cover is uh, something – I can't remember, Rob, if you shared it with me or or how that went, but we were both very excited to see that the new teaser for Mythic Quest Season 3 has dropped. Huzzah! Huzzah! <laughs> So that one's on Apple TV Plus, and you'll be able to watch that teaser online. The actual show will be coming out later this year uh, in uh, fall in the US, so spring for us. Uh, The show, we covered that, I think, over a couple of episodes because we loved it so much, created by Rob McElhinney, uh, Charlie Day and Megan Gantz, and it follows a chaotic video game studio that makes the fictional MMORPG Mythic Quest And uh, the end of season two saw the Mythic Quest co-founders, Ian and Poppy, leave Mythic Quest. uh, And the future was quite up in the air. So from what we can tell of season three, uh, it's going to see them co-founding Grimpop Studios. Um, (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, and they're talking lots of meta, metaverse business. And Mythic Quest plugs along with David as boss. Uh, We do get the returns of ambitious game tester Dana, snarky assistant Joe, and exasperated head of human resources Carol. Uh, And we also see more of indignant game tester Rachel. And the fresh out of prison Brad will also return. Uh, we won't be seeing any more of the CW Longbottom character in season three, unfortunately. Oh. Uh, not sure why that is. There's been no comment around that, just he won't be joining the cast. And, uh, yeah, it's actually also still officially greenlit for another season, a season four after season three. So looking forward to seeing what uh, is in store for that gang. It was It was such a great show with actually some very emotional touch points along the way. So, uh I think that one is is not oft talked about. So Mythic Mm. Quest Season 3, we're excited. Yeah, this was one of the trailers that we got through from uh, uh, San Diego Comic Con. Yeah, such a great time. Lots of trailers and news dropping. We were discussing that 
before we went on air, the Sandman series has dropped. Yes. Ugh. Much anticipated. And I bet you there's people on the edge of their seat when that one came out, seeing how it would be brought to screen. So, Does yeah. it succeed or fail if you're binge watching it and you fall asleep? <laughs> you know, we, this is a confession that both Megan and I have to make. Neither one of us have read Neil Gaiman's key text. I know. We have to go back maybe to the source material. But I also was saying it could be the show is a good entry point to the that universe. So. Actually, I have read one comic book and a short story. Okay. It was spun off in, um, is it, uh, you know, an anthology. Yeah. 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 I'm intrigued. I think there's so much content out there, but that one to me is like a very solid point in like the cultural zeitgeist. So I wouldn't mind trying to catch up with mm. either reading or watching. Mm. And also uh, check this one out because we will be talking about it next week on Zero G. Uh, Prey, P-R-E-Y, mm. has mm-hmm. dropped on Disney+, Plus, mm-hmm. which is a strange home for the <laughs> R-rated Disney princess movie to turn up. But there it is. And this is the fifth in the Predator movie cycle. Okay. And it is awesome. It is every bit as good as the 1980s Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle. Okay, great. And in a different way. This is like yeah, for sure. the 21st century. Yeah, and yeah. It is set in the 17th century and depicts a couple of um, uh, First Nations characters um, from the Comanche tribes in the plains and they are going up against one of the alien hunters. Wow, okay. It it is really, really good. It had me on the edge of the seat and I thought, oh, this is exactly what I need because the other sequels in between, Mm. a couple of them have been all right. Some of them have been very close tries. Yeah. But none of them has been as good as this one or as the original. Yeah. I mean, not counting the two Aliens versus Predator movies and there's no reason at all why we should. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, the real deal. Uh, um, Okay. Prey on uh, Disney+. Plus. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yes, so from the heights of Love and Thunder, let's focus back down to another myth picking. So Melbourne International Film Festival on now. Plenty of wonderful genre picks, but today we wanted to talk a bit about a documentary called Lynch slash Oz. So this one's a film out of the US and it's directed and written by Alexander O. Philippe. And it focuses on, I think it is pitched as focusing on the influence of the film The Wizard of Oz on David Lynch's uh, work and life. But I also think it does also focus in a bit on the cultural contribution of The Wizard of Oz and all the different interconnected threads in American cinema and the different themes and tropes that emerge in different directors' work, not just Lynch. But I will say the core concept here is, yeah, discussing how David Lynch's work has these little threads, influences and motifs that link straight back to the 1939 classic, The Wizard of Oz. And so while it does look at some recurring themes like velvet curtains, red shoes, it also does delve a little bit deeper into the ideas of dreams and dark fantasy and just different things different ways that reality can blur uh, with what is in the mind. So what I thought was nice, there's a quote from David Lynch that's mentioned in the film, which I think really does sum up the fact that this is not an imagined connection, where he said in an interview once, there is not a day that goes by that I don't think about The Wizard of Oz. 
I thought that was so interesting. Yeah, it was a Q&A at uh, Mulholland Drive screening. Mm. And I think that that's obviously where the director really Has sort gone. of decided. Ding! Yeah. Because uh, it does focus in on Mulholland Drive. There's a significant section. It also focuses uh, deeply on films Wild at Heart, uh, Blue Velvet and Twin Peaks get a, quite a lot of play. But overall, the film, it's set up as a series of chapters. And each chapter is narrated by uh, a different director or critic or, you know, sort of person in the industry. And each chapter has a theme as well. And so through each chapter, we unpack these different concepts, different theories and symbolism, and just keep linking it back to this idea of how Lynch's work parallels other American cinema and also how it ties in with The Wizard of Oz and the core concept of that narrative of an innocent going on an unexpected adventure Uh, And what is real, what is the simulation, and then returning back to a concept of home. Uh, So that's kind of the core core setup. And the director, Alexander O'Philippe, he's done other similar documentaries, deep dives, uh, one called 7852, which looks at Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, and uh, also... Memory, The Origins of Alien, which looks at Ridley Scott's Alien. An absolutely cracking good documentary, that one, that latter. Mm-hmm. One of the best I've ever seen about the Alien movie. Amazing. And I think you can see there's quite a lot of depth and the things that are explored in this film, Lynch Oz, as well. It's not just a focused in on the Lynch Oz dynamic. It also talks quite a bit about cinema and the different ways cinema has been evolving. But in some ways, the themes stay so consistent. If you do want to, I'll just, before we forget to shout out the actually how you can see this film, uh, it's playing as part of the myth. It is on tonight. There is a screening tonight and the director will actually be introducing the film and participating in a Q&A after the film as well. Uh, so head along to that if this sounds of interest. There's another screening on the 20th of August as well. And this is all part of the 70th Melbourne Mm. International Film Festival. And Philippe's other documentary films include Doc of the Dead. (laughs) Not not Doc Ock the Dead, but (laughs) Doc of the Dead. And that obviously is about zombies. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it actually... Star spangled <laughs> cast there. I don't know why I'm thinking of Captain America. I think it was Zombie Captain America or something like that. But um, it, it's got Simon Pegg in it. Yeah. And, you know, just yeah. everybody who's everybody in the undead world it's is so cool, yeah. in that doco. And the People versus George Lucas too, which is a uh, a Star Wars related documentary. Mm. Again, we've lots of people from the universe. You know, Gary Kurtz and. Uh, even Neil Gaiman. Amazing. Well, here we go, full circle. Yeah. And and you've seen the Alien documentary, Rob. I'm curious as to, because like I said before, the structure of this, it is very much like video essays. So each chapter has kind of a very significant, like a, a clear theme, and it is set up to be with the voiceover. We're looking at different clips and talking through in quite a – intellectual critical way so it is very much like a collection of of essays and criticism but on screen stitched together in a documentary documentary style is that the same approach to his other docos some of the others but not universal Mm -hmm. obviously you have uh, themes and 
ideas that you want to explore and it, it works best to put a sort of put them in chapters anyway so yeah, yeah. But, you know they keep referencing back in this one to the main core of yes. the thing so you have to do it that way really yeah. with this sort of information i mean some of the, the people that they've got in like john waters is an extremely lively yes contributor to this documentary yep yep no i thought that because when i saw the involvement i thought maybe there'd be like talking heads of these people and they would be like in an interview style but it's it is very much they provide uh the narration for each section so that as you mentioned john waters is one of them we've also got film critic amy nicholson we've got karen kusama who's a filmmaker as well david lowry uh who's done the films a ghost story ain't them body saints i love his work the greek and the green Green night Night. yeah one of the Finest Arthurian films I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. He's got such a distinct style. Also, we hear from Moorhead and Benson and Rodney Asher. So those are the folks that are doing the voiceovers for this piece. Um, And, yeah, compiled together all these different ideas as we sort of start walking through. The chapters are things like Wind, Judy, Dig, different kinds of... um, different kinds of ideas. So what did you, so we've both checked this film out ahead just to get a sense of it so we can uh, give a bit of a review for you. What were your kind of thoughts on it, Rob? Well, I was wondering how the celebrity narrators were going to tie in, but most of them have something of their own to say about The Wizard of Oz, which I thought was good. And in fact, with John Waters, you could compare and contrast the same kind of thing. His section very (laughs) much drew on his work and paralleling that with the ideas of the documentary. So I thought that was quite interesting that it becomes just as much about those people's involvement, the story. I was like, who came first? His being involved or did uh, O'Philippe write that section and then get John? Do you know what I mean? Because it just, it's very chicken and egg. I mm. was intrigued about how that would have evolved. Mm. I don't know for sure. I, I would hope that um, it was a bit more organic. Collaborative. That, yeah, yeah. 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 But who knows? It, it's uh, and this is the thing. This is when you watch these documentaries and they start doing that deep dive into it. Mm. It's kind of like, well, how right is he? If you actually asked David Lynch, he would just go, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we saw we saw evidence of that. I did think too. One of the sections is by, as I mentioned, the film critic Amy Nicholson, and what came out strongly in her section was the different themes, American cinema, you know, things around like the American dream and the 50s and the dark side of the... And so I thought it was interesting how each section, depending on who was narrating, obviously there's a connection there. It's not just let's grab Joe Bloggs and he can narrate this portion. It's it's quite a thoughtful mm. uh, pairing. They were also making not too much sport with the idea that you know, this is after all their speculation and, and yes. sometimes it's not backed by any Lynchian pronouncement. So yes. they're aware of the fact that sometimes just being hit in the head <laughs> in a Lynch movie just means you got hit in the head. Or does it? <laughs> That's the exact one of the great examples. Because, yeah, there's some overt things like red shoes is quite clear. But, yes, a couple of other ideas. And some are more universal too, like this idea they talk a bit about um, – you know, reality versus the dream and going into some kind of dream world or fantasy place and and that it can appear one way and actually be quite dark underneath. Yes, I'd say that is a core concept of The Wizard of Oz, Hmm. but is that not a universe? It's kind of like the heroes, you know? Like, So we're drawing some parallels that I think can be attributed to to a lot more than just that connection. Yeah, and is, you know, the fact that Paul Atreides goes on a journey from his home world to another world and goes into transcendent states there, 
you know, this is like 35. They, they actually say that. It's like three quarters of American films of something similar to it in yeah. their plots. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I actually think what is, I mean, it's interesting because some people might think it's a diversion in the core of the film, but it's for film lovers. I think there's a lot of exploration of different films. It includes footage and dissection of different films and how they might align or share connections. I thought that was quite quite interesting to have a bit of that film history and especially towards the latter, there's also they, – they sort of do a bit of a dive into common visual tropes for different directors, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was was also brought, brought some richness to it. We'll go back to our look at Lynch slash Oz, which is a documentary at the Melbourne International Film Festival, the mm-hmm. 70th mm-hmm. edition of that. And we want to have a track here. Since you know, connection to the Wizard of Oz, I was thinking I need to have something significantly strange <laughs> because it is David Lynch. So I thought, well, let's play Over the Rainbow, which you know Harold Arlen originally did that one mm-hmm. with lyrics by Yip Harburg back in 1939 for the original film, and mm-hmm. of course Judy Garland sung it. Um, character Dorothy Gale. Yep. And so, you know, the Academy Award for Best Original Song and all yep, that kind of thing. Nine yards. And, uh, so I thought, well, this is Zero G, so we will have to play the Klingon <laughs> version of it. And which uh, I could tr- trans- try and go at this. It's, uh, no, I won't because I haven't practiced it. So I just make a, a fool of myself and it would be dishonorable to do that in <laughs> Klingon. This is by Chris Lipscomb and revised in 2016. And so it now includes the Klingon word for rainbow, which is ha'e. <laughs> Up to date. And it was film, uh, performed in 2017 by the Klingon Pop Warrior. So it's actually from an album called Fierce Songs. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> this is J.G. Hertzler, General Martok from Deep Space Nine. And this is Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Today is a good day to listen. Kapla! That was <laughs> Over the Rainbow, the Klingon version from an album called Fierce Songs. Only on Zero G. <laughs> the Klingon pop warrior. Uh. I'm sure that the Klingons would love Dorothy Gale. She... Killed two enemies when she went to the land of Oz. No hesitation. Glory to the House of Gale. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, we did, of course, play that because we are discussing a little bit about Lynch Oz, a documentary that is playing at the Melbourne International Film Festival. If you would like to check it out, there is actually a screening that is on tonight and includes a Q&A with the director. And then there'll be another screening on the 20th of August. And you can get all of those details on myth.com.au. So final thoughts. I really loved the documentary. I I think as a a fellow movie lover, I love also exploring and doing deep dives on things like themes and motifs and links between different genres and links between different films. And I do also like doing deep dives on director's uh, filmography as well. And so I think the inclusion of... uh, 
lots of different clips of Lynch films and also included lots of other clips from other films, you know, that we've known and loved over our time and how they might link into the core narrative of the documentary. I thought that was pretty amazing. And, I, I mean, obviously there's there's a world where I'd love to hear more of an explanation or not explanation but more of a deep dive and exploration with Lynch himself. But I think uh, just short of that, I thought this was a really interesting and engaging documentary. And, uh, yeah, quite enjoyed it. What about you, Rob? I don't think we get a straight answer from Lynch. No. But what I would really like to see is David Lynch in conversation with Werner Herzog. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And see if we can sort of get this synthesis of outraged insanity from both of them. (laughs) So dance around the core subject. I do think there is enough. uh, I think it also alludes to the fact that sometimes these things are unconscious and that we're influenced by the media that we've consumed and the things we love and respect in ways that we don't always realise as well. So I thought that was interesting. Two things that I did like the being pointed out that there's a lot of wind in David Lynch's films. Yes. Indoors, where you wouldn't expect necessarily to hear it. Those hollow wind sounds, for sure. I thought, oh, yeah, so that's how it goes. I also thought that um, it was a good point to talk about The Wizard of Oz becoming an iconic phrase in itself. Now, Mm. there's a Star Trek episode, Next Generation, called Darmok, where they have trouble communicating with an alien who speaks in metaphors. Now, if you don't know what the metaphor is, it just means nothing to you. Yes. But we all know what the Wizard of Oz is. Yes. So you can just say Wizard of Oz immediately in your head. Yeah. All of those things start whirling around in the twister. And that becomes a phrase in itself. So you can Mm. sort of shortcut, go to that. Absolutely. It's a common cultural marker that a lot of people share. Mm. Including David Bowie. (laughs) Of course. Of course. Of course. Now... Mr. Bowie has a Lynchian connection, of course, because he was in Lost Highway. He couldn't come on board for the return of... um, uh, Sorry, he was in Twin Peaks. Mm. He couldn't come aboard for the... The return. Return. Uh, And his song, I'm Deranged, was used in Lost Highway. Mm. So there's a few things uh, that work around there. For Mr. Bowie, uh, of course, he also uh, appeared in a production of um, The Elephant Man oh, in the John did, Merrick of role. Of course, he yeah. did, yeah. And, of course, there was uh, David Lynch's film. Anyway, let's give I'm Deranged as our Bowie track for today. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Deranged, Mr. Bowie there, which uh, is a track that was used in Lost Highway. Mm. So what's your favourite David Lynch film? You know what, we're discussing this as I was watching the doco and I have obviously a big soft spot for Twin Peaks because, I mean, that's a film, but in terms of the energy and the atmosphere of that, I think that is like uh, a peak interesting part of like culture of the last, you know, X, Y, Z years. I actually haven't seen things like Mulholland Drive. I've seen Blue Velvet, um, Inland Empire, etc. I haven't seen some of his older works, like A Razorhead I've not seen. So it's quite hard. I actually feel like it's interesting. He's got such a distinct style. But if, you know, when asked what's your favourite Lynch, I'd say I couldn't tell you because they're so, and they're so, <laughs> I don't know, unique but also similar. But Twin Peaks is probably up there in terms of the Lynch that I enjoys but appreciate the most. Technically, you can say Firewalk with me as a film. Yeah, true, true, true. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, look, probably the one that's the most atypical 
of Lynch Dune. You know, yeah, they of course. Paved the way for practically nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it, it did. It was sort of like the legacy of all of those artists who got together from uh, to do Hodorowski's Dune. Mm, you know, yeah, and none of them, which really worked on. Um, just <laughs> yeah. So I just feel like this is sort of a lost highway of of, of science fiction influences that spall out yeah. from that yeah. particular commercial failure. Yes. But nevertheless, a very interesting film, mind you. The new Villeneuve film has its strong merits too. Yeah, I I love the the new June. Hmm. Although I still go back to the two miniseries, uh, yeah. June and. And yep. Children of Dune as probably being my favourite adaptations because there's just more signal there. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what the second part of Villeneuve's Dune is like oh, yeah. as well and how they sort of round out that story because I think they're starting to get into the interesting portion where we deal a lot more with Paul and the path he's going to go on and, and how they're going to actually depict that in the film and mm. how, how deep they'll go on those themes. So. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't actually come out in Lynch's film in particular that the whole Messiah idea is a really bad one. Yeah, yeah. It's that's that's kind of the the thing I mean like they they it's actually quite one of the big themes is that it's it's the there's a dark side to it. There's this darkness and there's a lot of o- ominous um foreshadowing. Mm, so yeah. I'm I'm curious to see how if they're going to bring that out. Actually, it's always kind of zero G's territory, isn't it? Exactly. The dark side. <laughs> <laughs> ominous foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure Joe Bernadic, who's coming up next with Astral Glamour, appreciates us being <laughs> ominously foreshadowing. <laughs> uh, right now, we were talking earlier on at the start of the show, just musing upon the deaths of several great entertainers. Yeah. You know, uh, Michelle Nichols and. I actually do have some um, uh, celebrity songs for her too. Of course you do. Yeah, but we <laughs> won't play that today. But we will play a track from Mr Cribbins, the very best of Bernard Cribbins, and it's Right Said Fred. And he did a couple of um, uh, of novelty tracks. Mm. And Right Said Fred's really, really popular. It's just about a couple of people moving something, possibly a piano. From okay. the description. So, you know, very jaunty in that. And, of course, Bernard Cribbins is very important to us on Zero G as a genre staple mm-hmm. in uh, New Doctor Who where he played Wilf. Yep. Uh, the paratrooper, ex-paratrooper. Mm-hmm. And also he was in uh, – back in the 1960s in the, uh, the spin-off Doctor Who movie and Peter Cushing was his doctor. Oh, yeah. Okay. Back then. Yep. Uh, I think he was a policeman who stumbled into the TARDIS or oh. something <laughs> vaguely similar. So that that said, uh, I thought we would play a track from that particular album today. And we will probably do something a little bit more at length uh, over time. But I, I thought I wanted to talk about some <laughs> – probably not successful talking about David Lynch <laughs> – as a mood lifter? Yeah. I don't know. I think some of the uh, – there's maybe a, a net hopefulness that comes out of some of his stuff. But, you know, there's a dark path you walk before you get there. But, yeah. And, you know, we were equivocating over how spot on some of the Lynchian references might be to The Wizard of Oz mm. as brought out in the documentary. But there's no mistaking the Glinda, the good witch, appearing. Yeah, 
in uh, Wild at Heart. Yeah. Uh, I think I think that's what's so interesting. There's the overt ones, and then there's the the more subtle. Uh, Assum- assumptions that we're making about different things. Or the witch flying on her bro- broomstick. Yes, you know, true, so true, true. I would say boomstick. I'm thinking <laughs> evil dead there. I don't know where my brain is going today. But it'll be going away now soon as we go to Joe Brenatic with Astral Glamour. So we'll go out with a track called Right Said Fred from the very best of Bernard Cribbins. Next week we will be talking about Prey, mm-hmm. the Fifth Predator movie in the mm-hmm. franchise, and mm-hmm. that's on Disney Plus of all places. Yeah, yeah. Then again, it does actually star the first R-rated Disney princess. <laughs> <laughs> Such. So, look forward to that. Really, really good. Oh, watch it in um, Comanche because you have that option in okay. the extras. So, yep. do watch it in that with yep. the subtitles. Yeah. All right, off we go now. Just. Oh, lift one end of whatever the hell this thing is that the guys are lifting. Uh, Megan, you can lift the other end and <laughs> off we go. We've right said thread. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.